Good evening. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Groups tonight. Um, Alcoholics and God step, Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now. Tonight's speaker, one Saturday night at an AA meeting, got one, one Saturday night, an AA speaker got up to tell his story. I graduated from Harvard Law School, he told the crowd. I was appointed ambassador to China, was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for my diplomacy, and then the Pulitzer Prize for my book. There were two old timers in the back row and one leaned over and said to the other, by golly, now we got somebody. Then the speaker continued, then I joined AA, and my sponsor told me to quit telling lies. My name is Noah, and I'm an alcoholic. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment and get situated. Please turn off all devices that will make noise, might, or will distract others. Take this time to get connected with God, let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation.
Let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact that every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and a harmonious action. This is, a great news. this is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I have asked Brian to read Appendix to Spiritual Experience. Hey everyone, I'm Brian. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, okay, right here, right? Sorry. I'm just the understudy. Okay. Um, all right. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different ways, forms. Yet, it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing memberships of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of, us, uh, most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a higher power uh, greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Uh, our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. So let's please re refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up 
or sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane mode or silence them or just turn them off. Um, our next speaker for the next four weeks is absolutely beautiful, and I'm so excited to hear what she has to say. Um, and it's Marion. Oh, sweetheart. So kind of you. Hi, everyone. I'm Marion. I'm alcoholic. It's good to be here and good to be sober and honored and privileged to be here and to be able to share my experience, strength, and hope and this relationship I have with God, this relationship I have with this program, the fellowship, and, and all the things that um, have kept me here since November 11th, 1989. And um, I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, I got to tell you, at the front end, it's like, you know, I haven't... I haven't been here for a while, you know, just kind of in and out a little bit at, at this group. And Peter and I have kind of always called it our home group. We travel a lot. We get to carry this message to different places. And God, is, God has used us in different areas. And it's, um, you know, we, were, we, we had the opportunity to go up to um, Akron for Founders Day. And, you know, we gave you guys a shout out, you know, it was really cool. And I got to read how it works in front of thousands of people and per Marion, as usual, I mean, it just led me to emotion, you know, it was like 7,000 people there. And I'm, I'm not saying that in a bragging sense, I'm saying it from a place of, you know, you're, you're filled with family, SAAs, right? People who would normally not mix. And there was people from all over. We had a woman come up to us that, you know, listens to Alcoholics and God. And she's from England. And, you know, just people from all these different walks of life. And my friend Carla calls it this. Alco us alcoholics are the only people that can come together for the first time and reminisce. And we spent a weekend reminiscing with people we'd never met before, you know. I know you, you understand me, we identify, you know, I'm scared, I'm lonely, I'm full of fear, I'm, you know, whatever that thing is, and I've never came up to an alcoholic and met him, and they've shared a feeling or a, or a, something they were experiencing that I couldn't relate to. And, you know, there's some that we, we end up working with, whether they're sponsees or a sponsor or whatever. You know, we speak this language of the heart. We speak this common understanding that, you know, as, um, you know, as Dr. Silkworth was talking about, you know, this altruistic movement in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and when, um, when I came in, I mean, you know, there's a bunch of people in here that don't know me. I have no idea where God's taken this talk. I know that I'm tasked to, um, to, to have four weeks. So I'm, I'm thinking tonight might be one, one, two, and three. And that was just a bracelet. Don't worry. Didn't break anything. Um, tasked to work, you know, share my experience, strength, and hope with steps one, two, and three. And, um, 
you know, when I first came into the program, I come from this little town called Bellingham, Washington, and and we had hippies. We wore Birkenstocks and socks, and we had the most hippies per capita, you know, than anywhere. I was in the Guinness Book of World Records, and I fit in, and I belonged, you know, Volkswagen bus, the whole deal, you know. And, um, and so that's a long ways from being there to South Florida today. But I, but I made it in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, made it to a treatment center and the one and only treatment center I went to the day after my 30th birthday. And the day before I gotten drunk twice. I went to Denny's for breakfast to celebrate my birthday at seven o'clock in the morning. I had a perm, a bad eighties perm that the color was champagne blonde because I liked the name of it. It was a Clairol color, you know, and my hair was matted because I hadn't picked it out. I had zero self-esteem. I was the mother of three children and, um, you know, I had this friend who said, a long time ago, when I first came in the rooms, she talked about being a mom. And see, I loved and I cherished my kids. I wanted to be the mom that they needed me to be. I really, really wanted to pull that off. But at the same time, when I heard this woman say this, it was like, oh, crap, that's me. I love them and I cherish them. But I also, I abused them and I neglected them. And when I'm saying abuse, I'm not talking the kind that you get locked up for. I'm talking about get your own Cheerios, screaming at them, you know, uh, not kind, neglect, you know. That's the mom I was. And when I heard this woman say this and put it in one sentence, I felt this sense of relief. It was like... Okay, now I can admit that because I could never admit that because I love them and I cherish them and I wanted to show up. And I would go upstairs and I would had a box of wine and other non-conference approved dry goods that I was taking that were, which I am grateful for today because what I understand about those other things that other forms of alcohol that came into my body that I ingested into my body See, they say that um, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it talks about us women that, you know, we end up here quicker than men a lot of times. And it took a while to get to a place, but I actually got to a place where I'm grateful for the road that those other things took me. But alcohol was always in the center of everything. I showed up to treatment the day after my 30th birthday Got drunk in the morning at Denny's. That same evening, I went out. I always talk about this. I had a leopard print shirt on and my matted hair. And I'm not really a leopard print shirt woman, but somehow I thought that was going to be cool for my 30th birthday. You know, and um, and I didn't know, you know, we talk about this a lot, you know, that that psychic change, the change that has to happen, you know, that in order for us to be um, relieved of this obsession called alcohol. And the night before, I had no idea what I was going to see the next morning. And um, 
I went downstairs to my, see, I had taken all those methods. Here are the methods we try, swearing off with or without a solemn you know, switching from scotch to brandy, you know. I I mean, all these things. I, I was absolutely obsessed with how to control and enjoy my drinking. I was. And if you're an alcoholic of the hopeless variety like me, which I know is I'm an alcoholic of the hopeless variety, I was obsessed with trying to figure out how to drink like a gentlewoman. How to drink like that woman that back in the day in the 80s, there was this woman and on this black velvet billboard that had a black velvet dress on and she's laying on a piano with her cigarette in her hand drinking and man she looked great you know how what happened for me was I end up at my brother's wedding in a black velvet dress that split up the whole top the summer before I got sober this was in August I got sober in November the dress was split I put a sweater over it and I stayed out anyway you know, I'm obsessed to trying to control and enjoy my drinking. And the morning of November 11th, I went downstairs and I looked in the mirror and I had this bright pink bathroom. And I looked in the mirror and I saw something I've never seen before in my whole entire life. Our big book describes it as we were at the jumping off place. We couldn't see our life with a drink and we couldn't see our life without a drink. And I couldn't. And I saw, you know, I had this little brother. I come from this family of six members in my family, three boys, three girls, crazy, all drunks. And then my mom adopted another. There was neglect. There was abuse. But she brought another one in. Underneath of that was love. But I had this little brother that said to me, see, he was the guy who put forms of alcohol in his arm, lived under a bridge, lived under, you know, an abandoned car, wherever he could. He was always coming to my house. He would steal eight tracks, if anybody remembers what those are, you know, out of cars. And he would always be wanting me to give him money, give me money. And man, he was a mess. He was a mess. And I would compare myself to him. I'm not as bad as Eric. I got three kids. I got a swimming pool, a sandbox, a tree house. From the outside, things were good as I'm dying on the inside. Dying on the inside. I had this little sister that drank in the morning and took God knows how many pills in the morning. I had this sister who... You know, and I was pointing the finger out like, boy, if she gets her crap together, if she just gets her crap together. And my big sister who was like, she made Bob Marley look like he wasn't even a stoner. You know, I mean, it was stuff like that. But I was constantly looking outside of myself at other people and when they would get their crap together, let alone inside I'm dying. And and this all came in. You know, November 19, uh, January 1986, I had a little baby named Brian. Three months later, and three months and three days later, my little sister was babysitting him, and he died of a crib death. And later that same year, my mom, in August of that same year, died of emphysema and lung cancer. And 
you know, from that point to the end, so this is 1987, this happens. I don't darken the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous till 19, November of 1989. And I can tell you inside of myself, like I've lost my son. I'm 27 years old. I've lost my mom and in the same year. And all I could think of Although every form of alcohol was going into my body, I just thought I was going crazy. And so I went to see this woman. I went to see a therapist because she was going to help me out because after all, I'm going crazy. This little brother had told me, as I pointed the finger at him a million times, he said, one of these days you're going to take a good long hard look in the mirror. I sit with this therapist and the therapist tells me, she says, Marion, when you lose a child, you lose your future. And when you lose a parent, you lose your past. And you're having trouble living in today. Dr. Silkworth describes this, too, is that we hardly give these people a fair shake. You know, I'm sitting across the room from this woman. She has no idea how much I've consumed the day before. She doesn't know what I'm doing in my private life, just that I'm... I'm nuts is all I felt. So that morning of November 11th, I come to, I come downstairs. I look in the mirror. I see this look in my eyes, just like my brother had prophesied. Really? One of these days, you'll take a good, long, hard look in the mirror. And I saw something I'd never seen. I was at the jumping off place. I couldn't see my life with a drink and I couldn't see my life without it. You know, um, <clears throat> there's a there's a chapter in the back of the big book called our southern friend and our southern friend says that when we hear the voice of god it's like a thought with a voice you know the one that says put the grocery cart away the one that says help Marion up to the stage because she's wearing a dress and she just might fall. You know, those things, you know, those things that we hear, the thought with the voice. And what had happened is six months before that, my next door neighbor had a little problem sticking white stuff up his nose and he'd gone to this hospital for treatment. And it came to me all of a sudden. I'm standing there looking at myself and it was like, oh my God, I got to go to treatment. I need help. I never considered that before. Never considered it. I used to tell this story all the time. My big sister would be like, um, I would say, yeah, my big sister just showed up. She just showed up. Well, my big sister since that, my sister Marlene has said, Marion, you always say that, but you called me. You called me. And I didn't even realize I had done that for years. And so I had called her and and my husband was like, you know, he wasn't supportive of me going away. He was like, just there's beer in the fridge. There's other things you can take. Now you're overreacting. What are you even thinking about leaving? And, and the deal was I had those three little kids and there was something inside of me. There was a fear inside of me. And I left that morning. Apparently you go to treatment. And you do an intake and you do all this stuff. Well, for me, I just, I had my Birkenstocks, my socks on, my husband's boxer shorts, a hoodie on, and a really bad perm. And I showed up at that hospital and I said, I need help. 
Now, I knew I had problems with this stuff. And when I did my diagnosis and my intake, they, they had diagnosed me a late second stage chronic alcoholic. I'm like right on the border of being a chronic alcoholic and no idea and 30 years old. Now, I can tell you that it was one it was the greatest decision of my whole entire life this ain't about treatment this is about god this is about my life being interrupted and what happened was is i'm laying there 3 days and i'm in that detox and i don't know i am like miserable and i'm jonesing and i'm you know i don't know what's going on inside of me and I had this feeling that, oh, my God, I totally overreacted. What was I even thinking? You know, it's like I'm feeling better. Things are okay now. I think I'll go. And um, I'll never forget it as long as I live. As long as I live. There, we have a picture in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's called The Man on the Bed. And, and Bill and Bob were there, and they were 12-stepping. And um, I know what they call it in treatment now. I was ready to AMA, you know. And um, I was ready to leave. And what happened was, is this gentleman, um, Steve, no Steve N., who's gone to the big meeting in the sky, as we always say. You know, he was like six foot ten, and he was the head therapist. And he came into my detox room, and there was a nurse named Nurse Becky. And, and Nurse Becky came in. And they sat at the foot of my bed. And like our big book so beautifully describes, you know, they spoke my language. Steve didn't come to me as a therapist and talk like a therapist and, you know, what's, you know, what's what happened in your childhood. And Becky didn't come to me and talk about the medical problems that I was suffering from what they did do is they came as two alcoholics and sat at the end of the bed and their words had depth and weight and they spoke my language and I could say me too me too and they were saying those things out loud that were a secret inside of me I don't know if you guys identified with Alcoholics Anonymous in that way when you came around but I sure did and what I had found years before that, I had found a God in a, in, a, in a Baptist church. And I had this God in my life. And I just felt like a filthy, dirty person that didn't deserve this God. This God came into my heart and I couldn't stay sober. But what happened that day was this God that I couldn't stay sober around. I had this, I'd run to this pastor and he'd say, get on your knees and pray again. Get on your knees and pray. And what would happen is, and I say this, that what I believe for me that happened that day was this God of my understanding and the power of Alcoholics Anonymous and the identification with those two drunks collided in that room for me. Now, Bill had a white light experience. Bill had a, he had to shout it from the rooftops. And he went out and he went out with his spiritual experience and just wanted to get everybody to God and, you know, share his big experience. And, and nobody was getting sober. You know, people weren't getting sober. And he goes to Dr. Silkworth and Dr. Silkworth tells him, but why don't you tell him what happened to you? Why don't you tell him that? 
tell them how you drank. Tell them how your life was. And that changed the trajectory of, that's a big word for me, you know, the trajectory of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, that was it. You know, and oftentimes, you know, I get asked to speak on a step or a thing or whatever. And um, I was on the phone one time and with this woman and um, I said, oh, so you want me to speak tomorrow night? Yeah, great. Well, what do you want me to talk about? What step? What do you want me to talk about? And she says, oh, just tell your story, just your story. And I said, yeah, just my story. And I said, it's not just our story. It's our stories that connect us. Your story is going to, you know, like Sam Shoemaker says, you know, we stand by the door and that God inside of you is going to connect with that guy that walks in the door that only you can touch, that only can help you. So as I admitted, I was powerless over alcohol. As I gotten stayed in that treatment center for all of it, I worked the first three steps the first time in treatment. You know, and the, you know, it was probably, I don't know, it was Hanley style or whatever. I don't know what it was where I had to add up this total of all the money I spent on forms of alcohol and how my life was unmanageable. But I'm going to tell you, you know, it's like all our stories are unique. I don't care how you get this thing, when you get this thing, why you get this thing, what you believe in. But the thing is, that it's all our personal journey. It's our personal journey of how this thing works for us. And I did that first step in treatment. I came to believe in a power greater than myself. And, you know, this, this psychic change started happening. Because what happened while I was there was these coincidences. And we used to call it back in the day. I'm 33 years sober. And we used to call coincidences is when God shows up and, and does something but remains anonymous. I was appointed, I had worked the, the steps and the first few steps and the first sponsor I was able to have was the only woman I knew in the whole world that was sober and they have her show up to take me to a Friday night meeting and here's Dawn, you know, Dawn shows up. You know, I had this awakening happening in my spirit. Um, we would be, we were across the street from Cornwall Park and it was November. It's it's November and it's November in Washington. James has been there, you know. It's like the the leaves were red and orange and brown and and beautiful and bright and they had these big swings and I'm swinging on these swings and I'm looking at these colors and I'm just like, "Oh my god, I can't even believe this is happening." There's an awakening that was happening in my spirit. It wasn't like God came down and went, struck me sober and there was a white light and I was saved. But there was all these little things that were coming together and happening. Um, so as I had worked that third step and get to go to my first outside meeting, I go to this place called Dry Dock on a Friday night. And this was another one of the times because so we have a body that we have a body that's physically allergic we have a mind that has the obsession in it and we have a spiritual malady 
and I go to dry dock and it's a Friday night and the, they had they had these floors that just went like this. There was this clanking radiator that was really super loud, and there was trains going by, and billows of smoke. It was back in the day when there was just billows of smoke in the room. You know, people just sit and chain smoke, and 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 I start thinking, you know, I start to thinking that. Wow, my life is really special. Friday night and I'm at Dry Dock. How cool is this, you know? And I start to thinking to myself, well, this is, this is no life for me. This is no life for me. A woman came in and sat on the bench in that, at Dry Dock. And I don't know that I've ever seen her again. I couldn't tell you if I ever saw her again. But this little Native American woman sat on a bench, sat in that room. And she started sharing her experience, strength, and hope in that meeting. And she was me. She was me. You know how we tell our stories and we tell them enough? You're me. I felt like that. I drank like that. I was like that. And when she said that, that woman was in that meeting that night just for me. See, that's an experience with God for me. I've learned in my walk with God, in my walk in Alcoholics Anonymous, like our book talks about, you know, I have a religious practice that I practice, but I can tell you in my experience that the realm of the spirit is broad and roomy and all inclusive and never, never exclusive. That the great reality is deep within each and every one of us. That's what it says to us in the chapter to the agnostics. It says to us that the great fact is that this God inside of us indeed not has entered our heart and lives. See, this is what I believe. People believe, you know, one of my favorite parts of the book is that this God that comes in in our heart and lives inside of us and how that happens how that's always been inside of each and every single one of us have you ever noticed that anytime you are afraid before even back in the day and i say this too is that what happened on November 11th, 1989. But look at all the ways that we can look back at our life and the things that I shouldn't have lived through, the things I shouldn't have made it through. Who was taking care of me then? But then I'm going to have trouble doing a third step? <laughs> I mean, you know, I heard this gentleman talk about this this weekend. He was talking about the third step. And, he, and he's like, where we, we get to this place where, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as I will. Like, like we're surrendering. Okay, here I go. You know, but really, our ego's so big that we want to say, okay, here I am, God. I finally surrender. And God's going, oh, yippee, they're finally doing it. You know what I mean? I don't think it happens like that. I don't think it happens like that. You know? And... And so as I surrendered and as, as I did this stuff, you know, I, 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 I had three little kids that were raised in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I had the same home group in the Pacific, uh, in the Pacific Northwest, a Northwest group of Alcoholics Anonymous. 
And when I got out of treatment, I went to that, I went to that meeting and I, and there was an old man named CB McLaren and I have a teddy bear in my office named after him. And he was a, he had a flat top and a flannel shirt and suspenders and a big alcoholic warty nose. And he reached out his hand to me and he said, welcome. And see, you guys have been my place all along. Have you ever noticed the world out there? See, us alcoholics have to, have to, uh, what is it? We have to work to pack into the stream of life. Has anybody ever seen a stream? <laughs> Streams like this. But we got to work our butts off to pack into that stream, right? Isn't that crazy? There's a stream going on out there. No matter what they're doing, they don't think of the world like we do. So, so anyway, I made that my home group with CB and those people and got my first, first sponsor there. And, and, um, and I had my first commitment and my first job. And, uh, and it was washing ashtrays. Wasn't very glamorous, people. But I'm telling you, the sense of belonging I felt when I washed those ashtrays and I filled that, that sink full of suds and I partaked and became a member of that group. Northwest Group of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, we were full of bikers and Native Americans. And, you know, our, our job of being a, doing any big book study was Wednesday night. 7.30 every Wednesday night. Monday night was 12 and 12 study. We called it 12 by 12 back then. The 12 by 12. And anybody who went to the Wednesday night meeting was really, or the Monday night meeting was really serious about their recovery. They were really serious about it. You know, and, and, and that's where my journey began in Alcoholics Anonymous. I can tell you that my little sister made it in the rooms a year before me then came me the next year my little brother that lived under the bridge came in and the next year my big sister came in so my family has a crazy amount of sobriety in those four my little brother came in and left a little bit he's a little churchy and we're not saying that we have every you know, we don't have the cure for everybody, right? I love that place in the book where it talks about which was once a, a flimsy reed is the powerful hand of God. You know, there was a flimsy reed and it reached out for help. And that's the deal in Alcoholics Anonymous. This is not an I program. It's a we program. And I need you and you bring me to God. Um, so where things are currently at 33 years sober and where I'm at with this stuff with those first three steps is the first step is you know I'm powerless over alcohol that my life had become unmanageable and my husband talks a lot about that dash that comes between that becomes this wall how am I going to manage and control my life and manage and control whether it's my finances my romances my circumstances my you know any of these areas where if I can only manage well you know a lot of times we can get a few years in Alcoholics Anonymous and we get the job we go to college we get the great relationship we get some money in the bank 
then perhaps we slip away from all those things from doing step 12 and working with others and skipping on our prayer and meditation because after all I'm busy now a lot of women what we do is we get kids we get the babies now we got to make up for lost time and we're going to go to PTA and we're going to go to church and we're going to do all this stuff which is all great in addition to but all those things forgetting I controlled and I managed my life well so therefore we start taking credit for all these beautiful things that have manifested in the outside of our life that were only given to us by God in the first place. I've had my butt kicked over and over again about this. You know, um, we talk about that unmanageability, being in the bedevilments, having trouble with personal relationships, can't control our emotional natures. We're prey to misery and depression. You know, I had a feeling of uselessness. All those things. And if you're here and you've been around a while and some of those things you are looking at in your life of, of things that you're trying to manage control in your life, it's a pretty good idea to come back to that place. See, all the best ideas are the simple ideas in this program and this design for living that's outlined for all of us here. Um I can tell you that coming to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity how does that look in every area of my life what areas of my life am I trying to manage and control that I haven't given the power to God I had a situation up in Akron where there's these friends of mine that were having some trouble and I just was jumping in you know like how can I help and you know things like that and and even one night when I, I go I went to bed and it was just like it was on me and then all of a sudden it was just like okay Marianne write the inventory and pray write the inventory and pray and just be able to release those people to to God because anyway I'm trying to manage and control anybody I'm in trouble and so um, if you know we have this deal right. And if you're new here, here's the deal. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves to, could restore us to sanity. To think that I can control and enjoy my drinking. Well, the reality is that, 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 that that's a delusion, right, in my life. Um, and that I need this power in my life. And, you know, it's about blotting out to the bitter end our existence or picking up the spiritual tools that are laid at our feet. What's our choice to be? I don't know. Us alcoholics have to think about that sometimes. Let me see. Blot it out or pick up the spiritual tools. What should I do here? You know? And, um, and so just being in that place of surrender. You know, I've added to my life today in, um, in a beautiful way over the last year of, of adding some, you know, I know this is an AA talk, but adding some Al-Anon in my life. And that's been a beautiful thing. If you have a big alcoholic family like mine and, and people you sponsor and everything, it was a, just a beautiful thing that happened. But what has happened with that is just a whole nother release of how Marion tried to control and manage the show, the actor trying to direct the show. A hundred forms of fear in all these areas of my life that I was just trying to control and manage. And I'm going to close with this piece because it was a um, it was a really cool that thing that happened with step three. 
And I hope when I describe this to you, if you've had experience with step three, that you kind of pick up on what I'm saying, because it's kind of out there a little bit, but hopefully you get it. So I had this woman talk to me about, you know, our selfishness. So so our selfishness and self-centered, that's the root of our troubles. The root of our troubles, selfishness and self-centeredness. You know, I had a friend that they used to say, I might not be much, but I'm all I ever think about. You know, whether I'm thinking low of myself or whether I'm thinking high of myself. I tend to go to the low spot. Oh, crap. I don't talk to Mike on the way in. I'm nervous. I don't know how I'm going to do this. It is just like common for me, you know. And um, I might not be much, but I'm all I ever think about. Selfishness and self-centeredness. How is this affecting me? Even in my prayers for my friends in Akron, I wanted to fix it. Well, is that going to help me? Because after all, I have 33 years. So I'm on the phone one time with my friend and she was talking to me about the third step prayer and she broke it down in a way that I'd never heard it before. But in that place of surrender and in that place of our third step where it says this, okay, so, so picture this. Every man, woman, and child has a fundamental idea of God deep down inside of them, right? It's all, it's good. James is good. You know, Mark's good. We're good. The fundamental idea of God deep down inside every man, woman, and child. Okay? But we have this nagging little voice that's outside of ourselves. And what is it? Selfishness, self centeredness, right? So think of this. So, so if we say this God, I offer myself to thee. See, it's outside of me. This is good, right? God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou will, not as self will, right? Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, not my power, thy power thy love and thy way of life may i do thy will always see i think sometimes we hear that voice and we hear this selfishness and self-centeredness and this hundred forms of fear and all these the voices like my husband always talks about if you drove here alone tonight how many you weren't really by yourself there was 20 people in the car right i mean and i love that so when we listen to that voice and how do we shut that down that's a powerful powerful prayer right So being rid of self. My sponsor says this all the time, and I'll say this again, is that, Marion, just go help somebody. I have to be relieved of this bondage called self. So I'm going to end it there, and I want to thank Alcoholics and God for having me tonight, and we'll see where we go on the journey next week. Okay? I'll get that stuff later. How about a round of applause for Marion one more time? And David, do you want to come up and do our lovely report? Hi, my name is David, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. 
in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. The, the baskets are going around. Uh, we have uh, QR codes on some of the chairs. Also, if you want to contribute to Venmo, I put them there myself. Um, and uh, those of you who are joining us on Zoom, there should be a QR code uh, on the screen if you'd like to contribute as well. Um, and while that's happening, uh, I have asked Rachel to come up and read the recovered statement. Let's hear it for Rachel. Okay, hi, my name's Rachel. I am an alcoholic, recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism, recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The, allerg the allergy, the allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for a lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what exactly it means to be a recovered alcoholic. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% plus success rate. Is there anyone in the room who needs a sponsor? Okay, um, if you are too shy to raise your hand and you do need a sponsor, uh, you can come up toward the front and kind of stand around awkwardly and someone will, uh, will come and speak to you. And uh, hopefully we will get you hooked up in, in that respect. Um, can I have a, a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Okay, as always, we like to suggest that if your hand isn't raised, uh, you make an attempt to hang out with those whose hands are. Broward County Intergroup uh, is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Next. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us uh, who can't get out to an AA meeting, um, such as jails, detoxes, and rehab. They meet monthly to organize meeting schedules at the 12-step house, and that happens the second Saturday of every month at 10 a.m. Uh, do we have any members of BCIC with us tonight? Okay. Uh, well, you can show up at the, at the monthly meeting if you'd like. Um, here are some upcoming service opportunities. We should have flyers on the literature table as well. Um, the second gratitude dinner planning meeting will be held on Saturday, June 10th 
at 1.30 at the 12-step house. Um, yes, there will actually be a gratitude dinner again this year, but you've got to show up at one of these planning meetings in order to get a ticket. Um, for a limited time, uh, you can subscribe to the Grapevine magazine for a year and get a free book from aagrapevine.org. Um, October 27th through the, through the 29th uh, is the second annual Bull in a China Shop Corral. Uh, as the name suggests, uh, it is a men's 12-step surrender gathering. Are we doing that this week? Okay, so um, if you have some time uh, to stick around and help us out at the end of the meeting, uh, it would be much appreciated. And of course, uh, please join us on Mondays for our Monday night big book study workshop. It's where the big book comes alive. Um, it's a great meeting. Um, it happens in this building at the same time, but on the third floor. Please come join us. Thank you. We have tonight's session and all past speaker sessions on online for free at alcoholics.org. I'd like you, I'd like I'd also like to invite you all to um, my my other home group um, on Monday, um, which is where the big book comes to life. Um, and those who wish to thank the speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Let's close with the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we've forgiven those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for and ever and ever. Amen. See you all next Monday or Thursday. God bless you.
Shine, 
Here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Thanks. Nice. 
Twisting, turning, tray flowers blooming all the time outside my door. Never before. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Cause this broken man I traveled far and wide through the great divide through his own heart, yeah. Just about to start. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?